Hello and welcome back to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. So today we are talking about all things food, the myths, the mistruths and the, just the general misunderstandings that are out there about do full tummies really make babies sleep through? Do you need to put cereal in their bottle to fill them up and make them sleep longer? And also, when should you worry? What are the red flags you should be looking out for? What's normal when it comes to introducing solid food and weaning and all of those things? Is it that you, um, you know, do you need to stop offering bottles or breastfeeding in order to make your child eat more? If they eat more, will they sleep better? All of that good stuff. It's a real minefield out there. And that's why I'm just so thrilled that I got to have such a fantastic expert on today's episode. So without further ado, I think we should just get cracking and bring Stacey Zimmels on. Stacey is from Feed, Eat, Speak, and she does a brilliant job of introducing herself and her work background and her her story of how she became who she is today. Um, and yeah, just really, really grateful uh, for her. If you want any more information about Stacey and her work and all the brilliant courses and webinars and free resources that she has on her website it's at feedeatspeak.co.uk and that's all linked in the show notes as well uh, she mentions a really great a few couple of a really good blog posts that she's done as well and they're all in the links um, in the show notes and yeah thanks very much for listening and um, here we go The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality secondhand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. Stacey, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. A little bit hot. It's very warm, isn't it? It's Um, On this day. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me. No, I'm so excited to talk about this and uh, pick your pick your brain. Because obviously you've got 20 plus years experience working in the field now. So tell us, for people who haven't come across you before, can you tell us a little bit about you and your work and what what you do? Oh, so my, na- my name is Stacey and I am trained and qualified as a speech and language therapist. But um, within that field, um, some of us, few of us, uh, specialise in feeding and swallowing so how you use the muscles of the mouth um, and the throat for eating and drinking and like I said less of us in children so my area of specialism within speech therapy is in feeding and swallowing and little ones um, and I've been doing that for about 20 years as well and then more recently after having my own I decided to qualify as a lactation consultant and I use that quite a lot within my work as a feeding specialist speech therapist so Everything I talk about is around feeding little people all the way through, um, including like children and, and babies with 
specific feeding difficulties, but also obviously knowing and understanding what's normal, um, which is more about what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and yeah, so that's me. Amazing. So interesting. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things I wanted to really talk about today was unpicking a lot of the myths. And as we were just saying before we started recording, we live in this amazing age of information and social media and there's lots of um, there are amazing resources out there. But there's also a lot of noise and a lot of misinformation that gets spread as a result. And sometimes that can, especially if you're a new parent, like lead to quite a lot of anxiety around food and milk and all of that stuff. And yeah, you must see that yeah. all the time. Yeah, I saw it when I had my own babies. Mm. Actually, I've got quite a large sort of community on social media on my account, Feed Eat Speak. And that whole page just came from me sort of scouring the internet myself for information and then coming across a lot of nonsense about feeding. I'm thinking, I could do better than this. I could tell people like what's right and what's true about feeding. And I could be really you know supportive to everybody rather than like just that group of people or just that group of people Mm -hmm. that align to my views and so actually my my whole whole internet and social media presence was born actually from a place of being like who who said that what that's (laughs) rubbish um so yeah I'm happy to be um I guess out here and being invited into podcasts like this to talk about um about feeding um you know from a place of knowledge and um experience and expertise and obviously I'm a sleep person so I see a lot of um and I was told a lot of this myself as a new mum before I got into this job anyway of being told you know definitely between four and six months being told constantly that the reason that my son wasn't sleeping through the night yet was because he just needed some cereal at bedtime or put a bit of rice milk in a bottle or breastfeeding was the problem, all of those things. And actually, I really held on for this six month miracle moment when he was going to have, I don't know, I don't know what I was expecting him to sit down and have a roast dinner and sleep through the night suddenly. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. everyone told me that. Good luck with that. <laughs> yes. I know. I mean, I was in exactly, yeah, I was in exactly the same, you know, situation. And actually, I'm happy to share my story here. Um, I think I've shared it on social media, but knowing everything I knew, um, I, had, I was in the, you know, the absolute depths of sleep deprivation when my baby was about five and a half months. She was waking hourly, I would say, through the night with co-sleeping. It was brutal. And um, everyone was telling me, just give us some food, give us some food. And I knew, I actually knew, I knew that food wasn't going to sort this out and I also knew that she wasn't ready for solids and you know what five and a half months I caved in Mm. and I started solids and you know I don't have a lot of regrets but that is one that stays with me forever for just not trusting my intuition but then I think I think actually how can you when you're feeling so depleted Mm. and so vulnerable and so desperate really you know sleep's just you know, I don't know how you do what you do, but you must help so many families because it's so hard when you're not sleeping. Um, so yeah, you know, if professionals like us can sort of feel that feeling or feel that pressure as first-time parents, you know, everybody's out there doing that. And some of the problem is, is that, you know, some children might start solids and might end up sleeping a bit better. And it might have 
something to do with the solids. It might have nothing to do with the solids at all. It might just be resin. That's more likely to be the case. But the vast majority, it's not going to make any difference. So it certainly didn't for me. And I just ended up feeling like guilt ridden and, you know, regretful and more burdened because now I had to like do the solid thing instead of just putting the baby on the boob and I still wasn't sleeping (laughs) so so yeah I know I remember like a week into solids thinking why was I so impatient this is so much more work and I'm soon gonna have to do it three times a day (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah I remember my mum saying with her fourth child she like just delayed it as much as she could oh, possible, and I think yeah. she says my sister must have been about like seven months and just grabbing food and she was like oh fine <laughs> you can have it I was I was I was not dissimilar with my son I, he was definitely like closer to six and a half maybe yeah. seven and closer to something like nine months before <laughs> I even did three meals um because you know I was following his lead this time and and that was so much more pleasant for for all of us um so yeah definitely um yeah and one of the things people don't talk about in terms of you know you were saying about myths around introducing solids to help with sleep is that sometimes solids can disrupt sleep especially if you go quite quick and you go quite Mm. fast and their whole little belly their guts and their digestive system especially if they've been exclusively breastfed I think more so not but but you know it can affect babies who've been on formula but all that food in their tummies they're not used to it and it can really affect their pooing and they're wanting to poo and waking up in the night to poo and all that sort of thing can actually make it worse so going slowly at your baby's pace can help avoid any disasters with sleep yeah yeah definitely and I I certainly um come across a lot of people who then because they're hoping it will help with sleep will start to will start with dinner time for example as the first meal and then you are giving this little baby yeah five and a half six months uh, this new thing and it's their tummies are upset and they're uncomfortable or they're like you say they're pooing and it's all it gets quite stressful and it's hard yeah it's hard to know yeah what the right thing to do is there Uh, especially if everyone around you or someone you really trust is saying just fill them up and they'll sleep yeah yeah that is really difficult I mean you know it's not a surprise that I'm going to say as a feeding therapist feeding specialist that if you can follow your baby's lead in every way when it comes to introducing solids and that includes the volumes that they take um and their responses to to the whole experience and you go out there in their pace and you take it easy um then you're most likely to sort of have slightly better outcomes and navigate some of the sort of pitfalls around you know filling babies up etc um yeah I mean that's the, the, the bottom line advice really so what are the the main signs of readiness for for solids then um that people should be aware of yeah so it's worth just touching base on the current guidelines. So the current guidelines in the UK and uh, the WHO, which is the World Health Organization guidelines, are currently that um, you should introduce solids at around six months. So that might mean that your baby is a little bit earlier than six months, and it might mean that your baby is a little bit older than six months, even sometimes closer to seven. So it's because they all develop at different stages and different rates. There's a few key uh, sort of milestones that are definite sort of wait until if you can your baby is showing this and there are always outliers so 
if your baby's born very preterm, you might they might not have exactly all of those skills. They might need some modifications, showing some, not others, um, or other reasons. But broadly speaking, you should wait till your baby is able to sit upright and hold their head upright. And I would say if you're going to give them finger foods, that's like properly sitting, like they're not going to fall over if you leave them, if they're having finger foods. If they're not, yes, they could be sitting um, and the high chair could be helping them a little bit. Um, that's fine. The second one is that they should be able to reach out, pick up an object, lift it up, take it to their mouth. Um, and then the third one is that they, this is where it gets like a bit technical, but that when you give them the food, they should be able to swallow more of the food than they actually push or spit out with their tongue. So there is a reflex called the tongue thrust reflex, which is designed to protect babies, little babies, from swallowing foreign objects. So that if anything comes towards their mouth that isn't the breast or um, a teat, they will stick or protrude the tongue forward to expel it. Now that starts to gradually de diminish from around four months through six months and a little bit further on. So you're not expecting it to disappear overnight the day they turn six months. It's very gradual. So some babies will have it while they're weaning and it'll be really prominent and it's not helpful, nothing's going in. That's when you know to wait. Other babies might have it on the odd swallow, but most of it's going down, that's fine. You can continue. Some won't have it at all at six months and that's, and that's also all of those things are normal. So they are three. Um, watching you eat isn't one, waking up more overnight isn't one, drinking more milk isn't one, drinking less milk isn't one. These are not established weaning readiness signs. So the three that I mentioned are the three to, to note. Yeah, I hear that a lot is that, oh, um, yeah, that that interest in food is like is often touted as a as a sign of readiness but I think babies are interested in lots of things like you know the world yeah, is interesting exactly I mean they watch you smoke a cigarette doesn't mean you should give them one does it um exactly like they're sociable characters are sociable beings and actually one of the best strategies to support weaning is to eat with your baby because they watch you do it and they imitate mm -hmm. you and they trust those these things that you're lifting up and putting into your mouth that they can do the same thing so um that interest is there and it's there before six months so um yeah for sure it's a helpful and a benefit to solids but it's not a sign that they're ready for them yeah yeah and I and I suppose one of the reasons there's a lot of confusion about when to start solids though is that the guidelines changed is it was about 20 years ago or so yeah it's actually like a, a lot a long time ago but from a generation point of yeah. view, it was less than a generation or coming up to a generation, which basically means that all adults now that are having babies, or most adults, were weaned at four months, which means that most of our parents knew that to be true, knew that to be not harmful in inverted commas to us. And therefore, that's where a lot of the sort of confusion still may come from um yeah and some countries will still have that approach is that right or do some cultures that's kind of all normal or do you feel there's more of a move towards six months because obviously with the world health organization I think because the who recommendation to six months mm -hmm. i think one of the tricky things at the moment and you may well be reading lots in the press around is around allergies mm. and so there's there's um quite significant evidence coming through multiple uh, studies internationally 
that if you introduce um, allergic foods, so foods that um, a child or a baby may be more likely to be allergic to, early it will and can reduce the uh, likelihood of them developing an allergy to the food. But the key thing is for the general population, early is, is at six months. Mm -hmm. And it's only for very, very specific groups that they're talking about below six months. And even for those groups, they're not talking or they shouldn't be talking about weaning. They should be talking about tiny, tiny dabs and drops of these allergen foods on the tip of the tongue and only these foods. But because the guidelines haven't changed, certainly in the UK, they have in other countries, but in the UK, I certainly in my practice, I'm hearing and seeing lots of different babies for lots of different reasons being given advice to wean from four months which is to stop all solids on the basis of allergy prevention and that's really really tricky because lots of babies are being diagnosed with things like cow's milk protein allergy and that's that's there's a pandemic there sort of over diagnosis to start mm. with and the sec and and then if they're they're, those babies are then being told to wean early that's not really necessarily the high risk group and so you know you, you get into these sort of muddy waters and then the more families that are starting solids that early the more the messaging might be coming through that actually you do start solids or you can start solids excuse me <laughs> um at I'm gonna, oh, bless you me. I'm gonna sneeze again there might be a third one coming you know at or from four months so just to clarify that's a, a very specific group you know from an allergy consultant or pediatrician and it shouldn't necessarily be weaning it might be just taste yeah that's that's really good to, to know because I think um yeah there is a lot of information out there about about missing or yeah I guess very overgeneralized advice about allergies and people get anxious and nervous and then they hear yeah yeah exactly yeah, exactly so what what are the risks of um early like early introduction of solids say between you know from say like three four months and why did it change so I think you know you're looking at well, what we now understand to be quite significant benefits of exclusive breastfeeding for mm -hmm. six months in terms of the gut and the gut microbiome I'd like to think it takes into account baby's um development but I'm not sure how much it does because I don't think there's a stack of a sort of money going in to fund that sort of research but certainly from a with a feeding therapy hat on you know babies ultimately will wean better when they're ready that's the that's the bottom line and so very 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 few babies are ready to independently eat at that age and so it's very much something that needs to be done to them and done for them and and that doesn't benefit them in terms of their development and it certainly doesn't offer um advantages that perhaps they had in the past thought it did um in terms of like the gut for example so yeah I think that it's on that basis there's a really good report from SACN the scientific advisory committee for nutrition it's quite a few years old now, actually, but um, that sort of goes through why they've continued to stick with the six month recommendations. If anyone's interested in reading it. Oh, I'm such a geek about this stuff. I find it so interesting. I w I'm interested. In it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting that you mentioned that over diagnosis of cow's milk protein allergy and um, and 
perhaps there is also sort of an over medicalization of things like reflux or other sort of feeding issues in early age and there's not always a a holistic view about what is happening for that child um is that your feeling yeah I mean I think you know I think our colleagues in um our medical colleagues like GPs and pediatricians you know they're not well so the GPs are a generalist not a specialist and mm-hmm. even on specialist colleagues in in pediatrics they have very little training on feeding in general and I think it's seen as fairly benign sometimes to just suggest as an intervention to start solids as a as a treatment but actually you know the the the, it's based on the hypothesis you know for example like reflex if you start solids that you know it will help keep the food down uh the milk down and displace some of the milk but there's, there's a lot of challenges in itself with that and you know babies with reflux may well actually um, have other allergies then you're introducing certain foods to them which their bodies may struggle with which may make reflux worse you then have to encounter or factor in that they may not they may be quite sensitive feeders to start with because the feeding's been uncomfortable and now you're going to wean them in a way that they're not in control of how they're being fed um whereas you know so that in itself can be challenging and and then um, you know, so so again, you're sometimes creating, you know, a secondary issue. And I think it's coming from a place of, of, of really just not not necessarily thinking that through or understanding the impact of, of that decision making or perhaps not even following up these babies to know that it was or wasn't beneficial. And again, if you ask on parenting forums, there'll be lots of parents, I'm sure, who swear by solids at 17, 20 weeks or whatever, really helping with their child's reflux. And I, and I don't dispute that that's the case, um, but th- there are many for whom it doesn't and there will be a proportion for whom it actually might make things worse. And we also, you know, nobody's looking at the, the long-term ter- impact of what that might be doing to the gut or the microbiome of the baby who could have been exclusively breastfed, for example, for six months, and actually who was only exclusively breastfed for four months as a result of early weaning. And, and that information is just not available to us, but but we understand that, that there will be consequences to that from a long-term health perspective. So um, again, it's like, you know, it's important to just look at the whole picture and look at you know, what science and, and evidence you have behind some of these recommendations and you should get feeling as well like about your own baby mm. um and if they if you believe or think that they might be ready to take on that task and developmentally sort of thrive with the introduction of solids which which they should because it should be really good fun for them to yeah. get stuck right in yeah but I do think there is something about that four five month period that can just be so difficult and and yeah and and behaviors can change and you're coming out of that sort of sleepy milky newborn phase your baby's doing more there's all of this gross motor skills fine motor skills all of this stuff happening disrupting sleep um maybe increasing feeds all of these things and it's so easy to think yeah or that, that that must be the fix maybe that will help yeah. yeah and if if no one was talking about it and everyone had just accepted that we start solids around six months then it probably won't cross your mind but like you said right at the beginning like everybody's got an opinion on it and yeah. everybody you know in every family or in every friendship group or in every um online forum there will be you know at least 10 percent people being like yeah it's absolutely fine just start solids and and it's really really hard to to navigate that um 
ultimately. And if you have started solids early, like me, a little bit earlier than you wanted or a lot earlier than you had planned, you know, it is what it is. You know, there's no, I don't want anyone to be listening to this and feeling, that you know, bad or guilty or that yeah. they've harmed their little ones. I mean, at the end of the day, all our babies will will thrive with our with our love and with the, the nutritious foods that we provide them with and the milk that we give them. And you know, we're all just trying to do our, our best. That's all and that's all we can do, can't we? You know. Yeah, totally. And so when it comes to starting solids, do you feel like is there like one best way to do it? Do you I like where do you how do you feel about purees and baby led weeding and all of that stuff? Sure. So I don't like to align myself with one way uh, of doing things, just generally in life. I, I think it's nice to sort of know what's available to you, peruse it and find the one that feels like it sits best for you. So there's a couple of, well, there's probably three different types of approaches you can take. You can exclusively start with pureed foods on a spoon where you're predominantly feeding your baby. You can... Um, you can take a baby led weaning approach, which is a very specific approach. It's not just giving finger foods. It's a very, very specific approach by Jill Rapley. If you want to look into that a little bit more where you effectively completely hands off and anything that goes in your baby's mouth has to come from them, whether it's a spoon or self-feeding. Um, that's baby led weaning and, and, family, and that's with family meal times from day one. And then there's another approach where you can give your baby purees and you can give them finger foods alongside purees and you can feed them a bit and they can feed themselves a bit and you can just sort of do whatever you feel works for you. And all of those approaches and ways are absolutely fine. If you feel that you're going to be more confident with one over another, go for that one. If you start one or you get a sense that your baby's more keen on being independent or they're completely hands off then you'll you'll determine your approach from from that perspective um i think probably from an advantage of all of them they all offer different advantages and different um potential disadvantages for example if you're doing purees you might need to do a bit of batch cooking and you know, prep, and that might be a disadvantage for some. If you're doing baby led weaning, they may go really slowly and not eat very much for a while. Some people will perceive that as a disadvantage. So nothing from a health perspective, but there'll be different ones and, and that, that, you know, for each one that you may perceive to be a disadvantage, not necessarily everyone. My key approach that I say would scope all of them is that the most important thing about any approach you choose is to be responsive to your baby. So that means following their leads. So you can responsively spoon feed a baby. And I actually have got a blog on that. So we could maybe share that. Um, and that's about being able to recognize their cues for when they wanted to eat and want to take them in the mouthful and when they're done and when they're full and those sorts of things. So as long as you're following your baby's lead and feeding them responsively, then I, you know, I think that's the only thing I subscribe to with regards like approach or the way to do it. Yeah, I feel the same about sleep, actually. You know, it's it's not that co-sleeping is better than a cot or that cots have to be, you know, it's actually about what works for your family, where you feel most confident, what works for your baby. Ultimately, your baby is going to obviously have a say in all of this anyway. Um, you know, if you've got a baby who needs 
contact naps or only sleep, you know, prefers the pram or whatever. It's really stressful if you're trying to sort of fight their temperament and their personality. And I suppose, and your own as well. Like if you find structure and having kind of a more of an organized life and routine keeps you feeling a bit more in control, then there's no point trying to go with the flow and just do it because it's going to stress you out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've worked with families that have really been nervous to introduce finger mm-hmm. foods and have really wanted to wait until their babies are showing them that they seem a bit more capable of being able to chew or swallow something like that because they're frightened of choking and who am I to say to you no you know get them finger foods from day one it's so much better I mean it it can't be if it's going to fill you you know fill you with complete fear and make the experience really really you know nervy for you your baby will pick up on that as well so yeah absolutely I mean and it goes the same goes for you know, different approaches around what you give your baby. So there are things around, you know, now vegetable-led weaning where you give them loads of bitter and green vegetables. And if you want to do that, go for it. And there's certainly some evidence that it may reduce um, their likelihood of rejecting vegetables later on in life. But it's not, you know, it's not a quick fix for stopping your baby being fussy uh, with eating or... um, guaranteeing that they're going to be the like these vegetable loving you know let's post them all over Instagram because <laughs> they eat you know everything babies you know it just isn't it isn't that guarantee so if you rather just give them a bit of what you know the rest of you are having and that might be you know um porridge you know for breakfast and that's all you start with that's absolutely fine yeah oh that's so reassuring to hear because I think it can feel a lot of a lot of early parenthood can feel competitive like even if you're not a competitive person and it's not even in a a nasty way you just feel a bit like you're just comparing to others and if you've got yeah there's always one baby right that's chowing down on a steak and eating spinach and you're just there trying to bargain them to have a melty puff or something Or even within parents, you know, how did you do it? Like that sort of idea that there's a, there's a better way. And so if you, you know, you never gave an Ella's pouch or other brands are available, you know, then, yeah. you know, then you're, then you're better than the next mum. I mean, yeah, obviously there are advantages to giving home cooked foods, um, lots of advantages to that. And, but equally, you know, you're not a bad parent if you sometimes have given one of, you know, something sort of, bought or whatever that's appropriate for the baby's age so you know it's also that competitiveness or feeling like you've got to do the right thing for your baby all the time because that's just exhausting also and also we don't quite know exactly what's right like we already spoke about you know um when it comes to the practicalities of it yeah I suppose like any area of parenting a lot of a lot of um parenthood can feel like you're out of your depth you don't really know what you're doing you're learning on the job and so sometimes if there's for me anyway there's anywhere I can sort of try and exert a bit of control or get a bit kind of feel a bit more in I I don't know learn a lot about this or feel like I've got I've got my head it makes me feel a bit empowered yeah um which sometimes is a really good thing and sometimes it can be a you can go down a quest for perfection and it can become a bit obsessive and you can start to think right well oh god I'm a terrible parent because I gave this type of food or my baby isn't eating that type of food and so and so's is so I guess it's just that balance of being kind to yourself yeah, and it's about sort of, well 100% being kind to yourself but I'm just going to pick up what you said about being empowered like 
It's about trying to find somebody or a trustful source online mm-hmm. or, or, or in a book or wherever where, where they're very um, able to share all the different options available to you for how to wean your infant rather than subscribe to one or the other. Or if actually you feel that this baby-led weaning, you know, sounds right up your street, that you go and you find out all the information about that and you make that choice. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, it's 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 knowing what you're doing sometimes is is, is almost like better than doing the best thing. It's just, yeah. make, you know, finding out and then making the, the right choice for you. Yeah, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. And, um, and what would you say to someone then who has started the weaning process and their baby is maybe between six and 12 months and they're just not eating anything and you're just making all these amazing things and, <laughs> and they're just yeah it's just really stressful yeah it's really tricky I mean I guess it depends where they are between sort of six and 12 mm. months I would say if they're between six and eight months that that's really really normal and I wouldn't over worry about it and just make sure that the timings of your meals are good that your baby's not too tired and not starving hungry or any of those things and you're sitting down with your baby and you're eating with them the same foods that they're eating and you're happy to get messy and happy for your baby to get messy and you sort of uh, accept um, any sort of exploration or interest in meals they're all yours as a positive and a way that they're learning how this is going to go for them and I, I would feel I would just wouldn't worry you know at that point obviously I have to say that my colleagues who are dietitians will say that we need to be mindful of the importance of the nutrients that they that they do get from solid foods um, I'm thinking about sort of multivitamins and maybe packing in some iron rich options if yeah. they're breastfed um at the, even in the earlier stages now as they continue to get towards 12 months we're sort of looking at babies starting to switch up their nutritional balance very gradually very slowly away a little bit further away from milk and a bit more towards uh solid foods so as you know getting towards nine or ten months and they, they really you know that poos haven't changed at all and you're thinking I don't think they've ever swallowed anything then I think it's time to sort of have a think about if there is anything obvious you might want to do or need to do so if they're formula fed you might want to look at all of the milk that they're drinking and think about whether you can more actively reduce some of the milk if they're breastfed you could look at the timings of when they're breastfed and, and maybe see if you can put a little bit of a gap between a breastfeed and a, and, and a solid meal. But but I wouldn't do anything otherwise drastic around the milk feeds. Um, and you might want to speak to your health visitor and see if they've got any general advice and all the other stuff around, um, you know, giving them every opportunity to explore I think as they approach towards more towards 12 months and they're really not doing anything again, arguably they may just be thriving on breast milk and, you know, they'll get there when they get there. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's problematic. Do you need to think about nutrition, though, um, and the importance of the nutrition that they might now not be getting from breast milk? There's only a tiny few things um, that they need from solids and how they can be getting them. And you know, and you might want to then seek more specialist advice if you're very worried. You don't have to by any means, but you know, and that might be someone like myself, feeding um specialist who 
can maybe look at the whole picture of everything that's going on for your little one and start to give you some advice to help build their their interest in eating and also just to check that there's nothing physically or developmentally or um, sometimes from a sensory perspective that is impacting on that. that we're not just assuming that everything's fine and they're just happy taking their milk, but there isn't something else going on that's yeah. stopping that from happening. You might want that reassurance. Yeah, that's it. Because I think for a lot it's of a us... a very long answer. No, it's really, really good. And I, because I was just thinking for a lot of us, we can really blame ourselves sometimes if things aren't going... So we think, oh, because oh, I gave them pears instead of broccoli to start with, and now this is it, and I'm rubbish. Yeah. But actually... There could be, like you're saying, a sensory no. or or they might just be getting, they just might be on their own, their own path and they just will get there. And yeah, in two absolutely. months time, you'll look back and go, oh, okay, I didn't need to worry. Yeah. And I see lots of families in my clinic where, you know, they've done exactly the same thing with child number two than they did with child number one. Like exactly. Yeah. And they're like, we just know it's not right, but we yeah. don't know what's wrong because you know, by this stage, my first was doing X, Y, and Z, you know, yeah. sometimes there is something physical, you know, a tiny yeah. tie that hasn't been picked up or um, hyper, hyperactive gag reflex because they, you know, or, or reflex or something developmental that might need to be checked out. I mean, it could be anything. Equally, sometimes there's nothing at all. And, you know, they just need to be reassured and maybe we'll tweak around, play around with milk. You know, maybe we will, but we never stop the milk. Yes. I I think that's probably worth saying, you know, like if you've got an 11 month old that's not just never shown you that they've got any skills for eating, you cannot take their milk away. And often I see families where that's the advice they've been given. Just cut write down on their milk yeah you need them to show you that they can eat before you you, yeah. you do that yeah. yeah so yeah milk I guess and particularly breastfeeding you, like I think gets blamed for a lot in general anyway doesn't it it's like you know um it's always the boobs fault sometimes I say to the families that I work with thank god for the boobs because yeah what would you be doing now if they didn't have all the milk you know you, you've got these lovely babies on the 50th, 75th, 25th, whatever percentiles, thriving, following their own girth, happy as anything. That's because of breast milk, even at 9, 10, 11 months, it's sustaining them. So, yeah, I would definitely reframe that. And how do you feel about the food um, food under one is just for fun kind of mantra? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's very present in the lactation world, but I think... You know, I think we know enough to know that that it's not, um, you know, and I'm sure lots of my, sorry, I sh- shouldn't say that. I'm sure there's lots no. of my lactation consultant colleagues that will know also that it's not. But I think that was maybe where it came from. I'm, I don't even know where it came from. But no, you know, the, the period where solids are introduced is really important, both nutritionally, because there are nutrients that they need from solid foods from six months onwards. But also developmentally, like it's a whole new set of skills that your baby needs to learn. And, um, you know, some of it's fun, you know, exploring foods with your hands and having small tastes, a great fun. But also we need to be thinking about the textures of the foods and progressing through those and helping to support what will be instinctively and naturally developing skills around 
tongue movement and chewing, the maturation of jaw movement for chewing, um, to come and come and, and to develop. So, so often I'll see babies 10, 11 months and they will look like they've not got chewing skills yet. But I'll, I'll explain to the families that, you know, they've never had an opportunity to learn or practice their mm. chewing because they've not eaten anything. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't. But but that's another really important element to the weaning process. Um, as is exposure to tastes as well as mm. the textures, you know, from a sensory point of view. So, so no, it should be fun, but yeah. it's, it's not just fun. I think that's the, there's just a lot of oversimplified phrases, you know, like fed is best. Well, that's also a really complex thing because mm. it's just such a short soundbite and it just... It, yeah. that's you know I mean I'm sure we could talk about the the fed is best motto for a long long time because actually what if uh, you know I'm more believed in like informed or supported is best because you know but they are all food under what is fun and they kind of get repeated and passed around and I suppose oversimplifying mm-hmm. these things and not actually recognizing what might be happening and, and they're not actually empowering parents at all by saying these things it's kind of dismissing a lot of it's it is and it's also confusing to families so and not giving them the opportunity to ensure that their children are getting everything that they need I guess so you know just thinking about food before for one is just for fun so what happens you know you plod along for till they're 12 months and they're just having milk feeds and they've not really swallowed anything and then what like then you suddenly start to panic at 12 months like you know it's a real process where you're expecting that sort of I talk about a seesaw you know where you start the process where it's all milk and no solids and you're just going to gradually tilt the seesaw so that as you come out of the other side of weaning which is at 12 months the table you know tabletop food but actually Jill Rapley will say close to 18 months the lady um Mm -hmm. who Queen baby led weaning and you know that that you should be there so just doing nothing necessarily um it isn't always you know isn't ideal either so yeah it's it's, it's tricky I, I really like that image of a seesaw because I think too often a lot of information that we get given is about like these very like yeah these sudden development like these sudden ages where you're like right at six months this at 12 months this and actually it's a process and it's it's quite stressful like you say if you then get to that milestone and you're not there and what does that really mean yeah yeah and what I like about the seesaw analogy is that it can tilt in different at different pace for different Mm. babies you know so it recognizes that there isn't a standardized movement of that seesaw between let's say six and 12 months where every baby will gradually do it like this you know there will be some babies who by seven seven and a half months might be eating three meals a day and like packing them away um and then there'll be other babies who you know nowhere near that 10 or 10 and a half months um and both babies might be fine yeah um so so it's it's recognizing that that diversity amongst our little people um as well yeah and how do you feel about the messaging that babies don't need night feeds after six months what would you say to someone who'd be told I mean, that I just don't know where that comes from like <laughs> it's just so again it's just like this idea that like at some sort of arbitrary point in time somebody is sort of um probably one of like the you know the male pediatricians from the 1940s yeah. with no evidence to back it up in the, in the United States um you know it's made some sort of arbitrary decision on six months or a baby's weight 
that just doesn't account for so much more than feeding for nutrition <laughs> and um, feeding for comfort. They need to be close to their mothers or parents and um, the fact that, you know, sleeping through the night requires so many other things and not just a full tummy. You know, there's so many, well, I don't need to tell you about it, like yeah. nuanced elements yeah. to sleeping through the night. And at the end of the day, you know, if your baby needs to wake up for a drink of anything, water or whatever, then why wouldn't you give them that if that's what they want or need? And when they're ready, they'll meet that milestone and it will be different for different babies. And I think you'll probably know more about when the average sort of time for that to happen is. But, you know, this it just makes it more confusing when you like, put solids in the mix and you know one of my biggest sort of things is you know don't fix one problem with like the potential for creating another one like mm. so for example in your mind if you think sleep's a problem why would you try and fix that with like food like with mm. you know with like um put pressure on a whole other developmental milestone to try and to sort of fix one it's counterintuitive like every developmental milestone I suppose should be given its own mm. opportunity to 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 be achieved in the most positive way possible and if you try and achieve one for the sake of fixing something that arguably isn't actually even broken you're just putting a whole load of pressure on on that milestone going a certain way to get to that goal and uh, you know I think that in itself is a whole stress ball of feelings mm. and emotions um that's not going to really probably be productive for parent or baby definitely just fighting biology is you you're fighting mother nature like that just sounds like the worst fight ever <laughs> do you know what I mean? it's, it sounds yeah, so stressful exactly. if you're like suddenly yeah turn that um yeah, yeah turn that one to age and then yeah now you've just got to stop it it's just it's crazy but it's still very very it's still really prevalent that message I see it all the time and yeah really, it's, really. which is mad because I think it really is from like the 40s and these like yeah white American doctors just deciding that they they, they yeah. figured it out yeah it's mad um I think I suppose... there's some of it in the French maybe French culture as well because I'm mm -hmm. sure somebody gave me a book about French babies at some point that I read because my husband's French and I was okay. like there's something called le pause it's like a form mm -hmm. of sleep training I think which I'd never really heard of and I was like what what is this and I read this book and there was something about making yeah babies making their nights and there was definitely an age to it as well yeah it's interesting yeah. but I'm sure you know no one can ever find where these things originally came from no, no idea no exactly and I suppose another thing that can stress parents out with feeding is then maybe you've established solids you've got into the toddler stage and then things start getting <laughs> a whole new set of challenges come along with fussiness and aversions to foods and all of those things and then that can cause I think with sleep as well thinking oh god like my my toddler really is only eating this one thing you get worried about their nutrition you get worried that they're not full at night that dinner time becomes a battle and then that bleeds into bedtime yeah. because you're You've then got like a hangry little person who's rejecting food. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a lot to deal yeah. with as well, isn't it? That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I, think, I know. Huh? I was going to say that's, <laughs> but, that's the second hour. <laughs> in, 
in a, yeah, in a nutshell, just write myself back. In a nutshell, you know, absolutely. And um, you know, the first thing to say is fussiness from around one to eighteen months is quite common and and fairly normal. Um, in in our little people, and one of the things that we do that is possibly making things a little bit worse is feed into our beliefs around needing to be full in order to sleep and so that when we come to our meal times and we want to offer our children lots of opportunities to still be eating a range of foods we are the default to giving them the same stuff all the time to make sure that they actually eat and therefore sleep overnight which in itself ends up creating a little bit more reluctance for previously accepted foods because they're seeing them less often and exposure is really vital or the other thing we do, which is we, we, you know, we think, no, I'm going to stick to my guns here and you will have, you know, spaghetti with sauce, with bolognese that's got carrots in it with the rest of the family and broccoli on the side. And then they have a tantrum. They don't want to eat it. And we end up making them toast with peanut butter as an alternative. And then they just end up learning that they um, can tantrum long enough. They'll get something else, which, again, creates the same situation. Um, like I said, sort of how do you manage that is a, is a whole other uh, <laughs> podcast. But what yeah. I will say is I have got loads of loads of free information about that on my um on my blog uh no on my blog a bit on my blog on my instagram page i've got a free download for fussy eating on my website and i have got a really i think fantastic course um for parents of babies from about one onwards all around fussy eating with stacks of resources and pra- really practical things around meal planning um and how to just keep them i guess on track as much as possible as you navigate these years but also how to make your meals really as stress-free as possible and how to avoid making lots of different meals for all the different people in your family and catering to all their sort of needs. So I've got, and, and you know, in it, we talk about lots of things like managing throwing food off the high chair and refusing foods and, you know, you know, offering alternatives and going to bed hungry. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that. So Lots of resources if you are looking um, around fussy eating and introducing solids, I should say. I've got a, a course on that as well. I have to say, like, what you said about the... blog. Yeah, what you said about the um, the peanut butter toast. That is literally the scenario yeah. that I lived in for, like, a year and a half. And then I came across um, <laughs> some of your free resources and, and your Instagram and all those things, and they are brilliant. And they have... And I was telling you before we started that my son now, like, it, it, we're not perfect. It's fine. He's... He's a kid, like, you know, we're, it's a journey, it's a process, but we've really managed to undo some of that because, yeah. And and I think it's really good that you you pick, you, I want to pick up on something else you mentioned, which is about timing foods, mealtimes when they're not too hang, like, tired as well. I think that is quite important. And um, something I work on with a lot with families I work with one-to-one is, is bringing bedtime earlier and sort of having the confidence to do that because, again I think there is this worry that they have to we need to fill them up really close to bedtime so they'll sleep and sometimes that can just make everything a lot harder and so one of the first things I often change if I see a baby or a a toddler who's waking a lot after bed after bedtime for example is thinking well are they just are they uncomfortable or are they it was bedtime is the meal being too stressful or why aren't they eating that dinner time uh, that meal and sometimes just having the confidence to say actually we're going to give it a couple of hours before bedtime you know eating at five instead of 
six thirty or whatever can make a big difference for sleep I find yeah yeah I'm sure I'm sure it can and also just from my perspective just be aware of what your kids eat all day yeah because often they end up that you know they only need to take in a certain amount of calories in 24 hours largely speaking to ground especially like if they've been at nursery they can often like have a nice breakfast at home and they have snacks at nursery and early lunch they have tea at four o'clock and then you sit them down at like half five (laughs) with the expectation they're going to have like another dinner and not only have they like hit all their calorie requirements for the day broadly speaking like they they probably already had dinner at four o'clock and nursery you know like these tiny in my practice often it's these tiny little things and I'll just be like saying to them you know what do they like right you know they like you know I don't know crackers and and cheese and grapes why don't you give them that for dinner on a nursery day because invariably it looks like they have like some sort of chili con coffee at four (laughs) o'clock like just give them that you know even peanut butter and jam on toast like give them that at 5 30 and let them have a a light dinner supper because they've probably already eaten or whatever works for you you know we uh, when I work with families we look at the whole day but you know that sort of thing often is all that's needed well it comes back to be that is what responsiveness is isn't it because you and I have days where we don't need a big dinner because for whatever reason so but I think sometimes we have this idea that it's like oh I need you to have that spag bowl or that like big thing that's gonna fill you up isn't it the most I remember the day that my my at the time my baby didn't eat dinner the first time she didn't eat dinner and I remember going to a friend's house it happened to be a night I was going out as well of course I remember <laughs> putting her to bed feeding her some milk and then putting her to bed and I spent the whole night and my friends just panicking um my friend said to me I bet you any money she sleeps all night I was like she won't she's not had any dinner da, 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 da. and she's teething I don't even know she slept through the night and it was the most liberating thing because she d- I, I literally like was able to dismiss the whole belief that if she didn't have dinner she wouldn't yeah. sit through the night because she did it and I was like great that's like one less thing I could I, I, in like the whole rest of my life that I ever have to worry about <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can happen I've had similar experiences yeah. where it's like oh great you had a bite of banana and that's it I'm gonna have the worst night ever and then nope you're fine so yeah nope. you're fine yeah <laughs> Oh, I thought exactly. I found this conversation exactly. so reassuring and I think people listening to it will as well because um there it can be so. stressful with with food and like you say there's not always it's not that, always that easy to find good information as well and um which is why I love you know all of the free resources you do your courses are brilliant your webinars your Instagram account and uh I just think it's it's really yeah it's a big relief I think to hear a lot of the things you're saying so because you know sometimes there are issues and sometimes there aren't and I think it's just about listening to your own sort of instinct as a parent doing your due diligence and then trusting whatever you're whatever you're kind of feeling about that the situation is 100 percent couldn't agree more yeah good yeah oh well um thank you so much Stacey I've really yeah it's been so interesting I find this stuff just fascinating and yeah I could um I could pick your brain all all day but I will let you get on for the rest of your afternoon thank you so much thanks for having me on your podcast Stacey